Hi, everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where for a girl who can't stand football, she knows a heck of a lot about the upcoming big game. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach, host of That's Life, and the voice and face of Breaking Bread Oven on Instagram and the head of social responsibility at Cross River Bank. You can find me here every Thursday right after Allison and right before Nahum's live lunch. Folks, I, I have a very exciting guest today, and we're going to talk about the art of giving and the art of receiving and charitable giving. And I, there's a lot I want to discuss, so I'm going to try and like speed through the beginning of this, my intro. All right, I'm already wasting time. So let's do the fortune cookie. And then we'll do the national holidays. And then I will remind you that Kosher Halftime Show 2022 premieres this Sunday at 8 o'clock. Let's do the fortune cookie. You are not illiterate. Oh, heavens, Confucius. I cannot believe somebody put that on a fortune cookie. That's almost a chutzpah. You are not illiterate. Thank you. Thank you, Captain Obvious. All right, that was good. good use of my time. Let's do the national holidays. Somebody save me, would you? Today, the 10th, it's all the news that's fit to print day. Yes, and that would obviously be a nod to the uh, New York Times, where all the news that's anti-Israel is certainly fit to print. That should be their new motto. It's also National Giving Hearts Day. It's National Home Warranty Day. I don't even know what that means. What's a home warranty? Home insurance, I get. What's a home warranty? You give it back? You get a refund? I don't even know what that means. All right, but it is National Home Warranty Day. If somebody wants to inform me as to what that means, that would be great. But I want you to know something. Tomorrow, tomorrow is Pro Sports Wives Day. Why is that significant? Obviously because the Super Bowl is this Sunday and the big game is this Sunday. But I didn't know that they're in such despair that we need to have a support day for Pro Sports Wives. Let's take a moment out of our day and out of my precious intro time to take a moment and consider pro sports wives. Thank you. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. And in my new role as head of social responsibility at Cross River, I have begun to think very, very long and very, very hard about the act of giving, the act of charity, the act of giving charity, and frankly, the act of receiving charity or receiving grants and generational, uh, <laughs> generational, uh, grants and, and foundational giving, etc. And in doing so, I remembered that I have an excellent resource to turn to for questions that I have and for conversations that I would like to have about just this topic. I'm joined today by Yossi Prager. Yossi Prager has been an executive in major Jewish philanthropies for nearly 30 years. Currently, he is the executive director of a philanthropic, phil, <laughs> philanthropic, boy, am I tired, philanthropic foundation that prefers to remain quiet and private. Prior to his current job, Yossi was the executive director for North America of the Avichai Foundation for 26 years. Under Yossi's leadership, Avichai invested over $400 million to develop a wide variety of programs to benefit the Jewish education and summer camping fields. The foundation spent down at the end of 2019. For four years, Yossi also taught an undergraduate course on foundations and social change at NYU. He edited a book on Judaism and philanthropy entitled Toward a Renewed Ethic of Jewish Philanthropy. Yossi is widely published on Judaism 
Jewish education and philanthropy. He's also a graduate of Yeshiva College and Yale Law School. Yes, he practiced the law. Yes, he practiced law at Debevoise and Plimpton in Manhattan before beginning his career in philanthropy. Yes, good morning. Good morning to you. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for thank you for joining me. I appreciate the time, and um, you know, I I'm reading through the bio, and I know I was tripping over a bunch of words, and I'm not exactly sure why. But I, I have to start from the beginning before the. I have to start at the end before I get into the beginning. I mean, what is what's happening with a lawyer who decides that he is leaving law at Debevoise <laughs> and decides that he is going to go into the world of philanthropy? I think many lawyers wish they could or had <laughs> left the law. I, I don't know how unusual that is. It was actually interesting. When I was a law student at Yale, I went to visit Jewish organizations in New York City to ask, how could I be useful to the Jewish community? And almost all of them said, you know, you should work at a big firm, make a lot of money, and uh, then you'll donate to our organizations, which was not the answer I wanted to hear. <laughs> right. And I was lucky enough that Zalman Bernstein, the founder of Sanford C. Bernstein & Company, was looking for an executive to run his New York operation while I was looking to leave the law. And it was a beautiful shidduch that lasted for a long time. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that about people loving the law and falling out of love with the law because it's a conversation that I've had a number of times with people, with lawyers in their 40s and 50s who just wish they could leave. So the opportunity that presented that was presented to you was obviously perfect timing because it almost sounds like you left before you didn't like it anymore. Absolutely. I, I left almost before I started. I, <laughs> I really enjoyed the, the people. It was very intellectually challenging, but I did want something more meaningful. And so not having found it before the practice, I was lucky enough to find it while I was practicing. Right. Very, very interesting. And let's talk for a second about the course that you've taught at NYU. I mean, I, I imagine that it's probably very difficult to communicate to to college students what we're talking about in terms of of foundation and social change you know getting 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 students out out of their high school years where they're developing as minds and as citizens and as intellectuals how hard was it to impart your way of thinking or to explore your way of thinking with your students so, you know, philanthropy, you talk about the art of philanthropy, but there's also the business of philanthropy. Philanthropy practice at the largest levels is really a biz in the business of social change. I had students who had the enterprises of their own, and I had students who, as you say, um, were coming in, you know, fresh from high school. But in all cases, they were interested in what are the tools that a philanthropy can use to generate social change, whether it's advocacy, uh, human capital, training people, um, impact investing. It was really, you know, it was a combination of public policy and business really geared toward how you can use financial resources to generate social change. So, but let's, let's, let's all take this a step forward so that we can discuss for a second the difference between charity and philanthropy. Sure. So this is a, a distinction of my making. You know, these two words can mean different things to different people. Um, I use this to explain um, sort of the difference between what I do in my private life and what I did in my professional life and what I taught about in the course. 
I think of charity as giving to causes that I believe in, because everyone counts and every bit matters. My contribution won't change the world, but I've done my part. Um, it's really giving where um, my heart lies, where my values lie. That includes giving to individuals. It includes giving to day schools, to yeshivas, to charity, you know, um, poverty organizations. That's all in the realm of, of charity. Philanthropy is proactive problem solving. It's um, defining a social problem or multiple social problems, understanding the problem, finding people who can help you shape solutions, who, finding people you can invest in who you think can move the needle, um, and then finding ways to build the capacity of those people and organizations so they can grow and they can improve. So it's a proactive problem-solving social change approach as opposed to um, where can I give my money. It's the difference between um, giving and investing. Giving and investing. So giving, you would say in layman's terms, is giving, let's just say, from the heart, no strings attached. An investment is there's an ex expectation of an ROI, a return on one's investment. Absolutely. And and how and, and usually yeah. well, I would say and usually not only is there an expectation of an ROI, but that ROI is defined upfront by the, the philanthropist based on the goals that he or she has in mind. Right. They start with um, a problem that they want to solve, and they measure ROI by reference to that problem. Right, and so that's it's funny that you, not funny, but it's interesting that you use that term because that's a term that. That, in, that example or that definition is what I refer to as good money. Good money is where you're putting your, uh, let's use the word investment, you're investing in an organization in whatever it is with an expectation of seeing results and you feeling good about the money you have invested and looking forward to renewing that investment or renewing that or continuing that relationship because it's been mutually beneficial. Um, yes, although I think you're as good money even in the charity definition. I mean, there are a group of uh, Israelis who come to my door, as I'm sure they come to other people's doors, and there are a few of them I've developed a relationship with over time. And, uh, you know, I've seen them go from people who needed a handout to, to getting an education, and in one case one of them opened a store and now occasionally brings me gifts. That's good money. Oh, agreed. Completely in the notion of, of charity. Agreed. I would 100% uh, agreed. I think charity on so many levels is good money. But I would consider, and in my head, the term bad money is whether it's an investment or whether it's charity, it's knowing that your money is not going to be, it's, it's not going to make the impact you're hoping it makes, that you already see that there's there's no, I know it's going to sound ridiculous almost. There's no future for that for that donation, for that investment. So there are organizations that we sort of have to give to or we have to invest in, but we know that that money is not going to be utilized well. That's what I mean by bad money. Does that make sense? It does. And, uh, you know, when you frame it that way, I think we should try to avoid giving oh, yeah. bad money. <laughs> but I think the challenge is often to figure out when that point is reached. I remember a project that we started at Avichai, and when we started it, um, everybody on the board was behind it, the staff was behind it, and it really didn't work. Um, and when we finally pulled it, when we finally stopped funding it, one of our trustees said, um, 
you know, anybody who was against this from the beginning had no heart. And anybody who wants to continue funding this has no head. Wow. And finding that point where you know that this enterprise that has so much promise no longer has promise is a really tough, yeah. you know, it's a tough decision because so often it, there is an iterative process and things that don't go as planned can go in a different direction and achieve great things. So knowing when your good money has become bad money is, uh, you know, that it requires a lot of time, energy, effort, and experience to figure that out. Yeah, and I I, I so respect that. I, I don't even, I, I couldn't even articulate how much I respect that that point that you're making right now because it's it's a tough realization, especially when you're not giving your own money. I You know, I, I explained to somebody recently that as, as, you know, in the position that I am of, as head of social responsibility for Cross River, it is much easier for me to say no than it is to say yes. Because my saying yes means that I am giving, and I'm going to use the word, the loose term of giving, right? Whether it's investing, et cetera. But I am handing over finances that are not out of my pocket. There are repercussions to that. There's a responsibility there. So to turn around after making that investment, after X number of time or whatever has elapsed, uh, has lapsed, and, and you turn around and say, wow, that was, not, that was not good money. That was bad money. That is a hard day. Right. I, I, that makes perfect sense to me. But there's also a risk that you become you know, so risk-averse right. that you miss incredible opportunities. And so I think it's really important. I don't know who the principals are. Um, it, where you are now, who's uh, the ultimate decision maker, whose money it is, but there needs to be a really open discussion between the professionals and the principals about how risk averse the principals are, what they're looking for, how much risk they're willing to take and of what kind, because, you know, you don't want to be free with someone else's money. And at the same time, um, if you're too afraid to pull the trigger, then they're just wonderful opportunities to do great things in the world that you miss. Yeah, and and it's funny that you that you that you t- that you touch right now on the great things to do in the world because Avichai was known for funding great things, and it was what, what people need to understand. Our listeners need to understand is that Avichai was set up to close, and I mean that sincerely because again, as you as as it stated in your bio. The foundation spent down at the end of 2019. Just explain for everybody what that means. Sure. So Zalman Bernstein founded Avichai in 1984. It's sort of a beautiful story. It was called Avichai because Zalman became observant later in life. Um, it was triggered by the passing of his own father. And through this philanthropy, his father uh, had a life. The father you know, sort of all of us, the, the transition from generation to generation, and of course, our, our father in heaven. So Avichai had this beautiful triple resonance. Um, and by the time he passed away in 1999, he came to think that it was important that the money be spent in the lifetime of the people who knew him, because he wanted his values to be reflected mm. in the spending. So he didn't pick a spend-down date, but he let the board members know that they would like the money he would like the money spent in their lifetime. And in the course of um, 
sort of initially the date was 2027, and then when the market collapsed in 2008 and we didn't want to reduce our spending, it ended up being um, just the very beginning of 2020. And it's not common for foundations to spend that down, but it is becoming more common because nobody wants to see their money used for something that is absolutely contrary to their own values in the name of, you know, doing good. And so the only real way to control what happens is to be sure that the money is spent by people you know and you trust. Wow. What a concept, right? I mean, and you, 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 it is unusual. It is unusual for foundations not to regenerate, but the understanding, the philosophy, or the mindset behind it, it, it almost makes perfect sense, and then I wonder why more people don't do it. So it, it is becoming more common. I think many people don't do it for two reasons. One is they see the philanthropy as a source of um, family collaboration going forward in the generations. Zalman never treated this as a family philanthropy. His board members were not his family members other than his, actually even his spouse, Mem Bernstein, only became a board member after he passed. There, was never, there were never family members on the board. And so for him, this value of um, being a source of collaboration among family members was never a factor. Um, the other thing is people want to build a memory for themselves. And so, you know, you can think of foundations today like the Ford Foundation. People continue to remember the Fords not just because of the auto company but because of what the philanthropy does. And so um, if you want to ensure that your legacy and name will be remembered for many generations, you can't spend down. Is there was, – was Zalman Bernstein the paradigm for the great giver of charity? Uh, no. I mean, there are – foundations started in the 1890s, the first, I think. The first two major philanthropists were Andrew Carnegie and um, – and um, just, lost, just lost his name That's from the okay. oil company. Um, and, and so those were the earliest philanthropists. And then over time, more and more philanthropists came on. I mean, today there are foundations that have many multiples of what Avichai had available to itself. And even in the Jewish community, um, there were other very significant names, Bronfman's and Wexner and Schusterman. So I think Zalman had... Um, a unique way of thinking about his philanthropy, but he, he you can't say that he was the initiator of um, right, right. I would, foundation life. No, I agree with that. I'm just wondering the style of giving. You know, we talk we started by talking about what the art of giving looks like. So I wonder here, you know, the 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 way in which Avichai stayed on track in terms of being true to its mission? You know, was that part of his style or was that something that evolved as part of the personality of Avichai? So I think Salman was always very focused and sort of within the larger mission statement, which was crystal clear, the areas of focus changed over time a little bit, both here and in Israel. Um, but there was absolutely um, a focus it's different from foundations that have sort of changed the world at large mission statements where you really see um, drift from generation to generation or decade to decade. Uh, but there are also other foundations that are really focused in their missions. And was the, what, 
let me let me take it from the other side of the table for a second. The art of receiving. There's a way in which a person can ask, whether it's one-on-one. Let's talk about both charity and investments, right? So there's a way, or let's actually focus on charity. The per, the individual giving, the Yassi Prager giving, the the Prager family giving. Is there a best way for someone to approach the Prager family, and I use that term ubiquitously, but a family in general, to to appropriately ask? What would be the art there? Um, so that's an interesting question. You're not asking yet about after they receive the gift, but what's the right approach to getting the gift? Correct. I think that's going to um, vary somewhat by families. I think some people like to give to institutions, to organizations. Some people prefer to give to individuals. Um, I think everybody, the, the best case is one that this is not a permanent um, need for funds, but with your help, I'm going to be able to get the training to get a job. There's some um, end in the future. Um, and obviously, I think for people, the emotion of the situation, and you know, if you have a family that is dealing with breast cancer and someone comes to the door and they have a wife with breast cancer, there'll be greater receptivity. Um, so I think it, it does vary. <laughs> One thing I know is that it's not a good idea to come and make demands, mm. which I have seen often. Right. Right. Like you're, you, you have to allow the person you're asking to sort of define the terms within their comfort level. Um, yeah. I mean, to some degree, it's got to be the right fit, right? This is not just shaping the case. It also has to, you know, some families are more enthusiastic or ready to give for some causes or for some people more than others. So there is a question of, I mean, you're really asking me a fundraising strategy question. <laughs> um, well, I guess. That, that's really, well, you know, it's a, on some level, I guess I am. But the, but the truth of the matter is that because we're talking about, you know, that one-on-one, that, that, that personal, that, that connection between the ask and the, and the, the, the asker and the giver. You know, there's, there, there is a way to be respectful of the person you're asking from and at the same time, you know, maintain your, you know, your, your dignity in asking. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm having trouble articulating it only because. Right. Well, yeah. it has to, I understand what you're saying. It has to be a human to human yes. relationship. It can't be a business transaction. In the end, where, however it starts, if it doesn't become a relationship, um, the the ones seeking the funds will never um, really get what they want. I, I know when people come to our door, they're quick with a Dvar Torah or ready to engage in conversation, not just about their own personal situation, but about ideas. And I'm always drawn in by that. Um, so, and, and I'm sure there's, you know, word travels about different families and, and what are the ways to approach them. And then the I agree with you. Yeah. Human then, to human. Yeah, human to human. That's exactly it. And then the receiving part. Once you receive that gift or once you receive that charity or once you re- receive that investment from a foundation, how you receive it makes such a difference. Right. So I want to, I mean, I think on the individual to individual, the first thing we have to recognize is sometimes the people coming um, to seek funding are just an enormous amount of pain. Mm -hmm. And there's no right way for people to respond to pain. 
So where there's some kind of acute need that they have, I don't think there's a rule book. And I think anybody who gives with the expectation that a person should behave a certain way um, is just being a little bit cruel. Got it. So um, I think that we have to keep that in mind. But, but I can tell you, obviously, being grateful um, stories of impact, giving the, the donor a sense of nachas about over time what their money has, um, uh, you know, enabled is really important. Um, finding ways to give and not just take. And I don't mean give money. I mean give um, almost education. I'll tell you what happened to me. This is a crazy story. Someone, um, we'll call him Avi. Not Avi, but um, who I have, you know, I've been giving small amounts of money to. The Pragers are not capable of giving very large amounts of money, but small amounts of money to for some time um, has a wife with cancer. And he came to the door um, the week before Rosh Hashanah, and he told me the story that his apartment completely burned down in early July. Um, but he wasn't coming to ask me for money about his apartment. He said he went to see Rabbi Abu Chatzera, and um, the perspective that he gave him is, you never know kind of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu's trade-off um, will be. And then in August, his wife got a miraculous, miraculous test results where um, she was cancer-free. And so his thinking as he came to see me was how grateful he was that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had um, taken it out on Eitzim Vavanim, as the Gemara says, and spared his wife. And the, the, on Erev Rosh Hashanah, I got into a crazy fender bender with a uh, tractor trailer near the George Washington Bridge. Thankfully, I was okay. The car was more or less okay. Um, and as I drove home, I was uh, then driving to shul, I realized what I had learned from this man, from Avi, because, thank God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu on Erev Rosh Hashanah oh. took it out on the car. And so I learned something extraordinary from this person. Um, that's how to receive. Wow. Yossi, I, I mean... I... Even if even if we weren't out of time, I don't even know if I'd be able to put a thought together after that story. That's incredible, and what an unbelievable message to leave everyone with. And you know, it's something that Nachum mentions all the time. And he says, "There's a lot of pain out there," and and it's true. There is a lot of pain out there, and I'm sure that you've seen many, many, many anecdotes and stories and and personal situations with people over the years. And um, I, I I think that. Listen, you leaving law was, was definitely good for the Jewish people. That I can tell you. Thank you. That I can tell you. But you should you should continue to be matzliach in this unbelievable work that you do because, and by the way, if I, if I have, if I, if I am blessed with the clarity, and I mean, thank God you have years of experience, and I found this conversation super helpful for me personally, but if I am blessed with, some of the success that you have seen over the years on behalf of the Jewish community, well, then that will be that will be good work on my part. Well, that's wonderful for you to say. I think each of us comes to situations with unique experiences and ways of thinking, and I very much doubt that what you will do would be the way that I would do it, but it'll be terrific because of what you bring 
to the work. And I would um, love to have conversation with you off the air as you um, make your way into this work and uh, work on making a difference to our community. Well, I appreciate that because, as you know, I know where you live. So I am going <laughs> So I am going to take you up on that. Yessie Prager, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. I know that I went longer than I said we would, but I, I appreciate the time and continued great work on behalf of the Jewish community. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. And, yes, I am out of time. I know I'm out of time. I'm always out of time. What do you want me to do? It was such a good interview. I couldn't stop, and we were on a roll. I hope you enjoyed this time with me and Yossi. The live lunch starts in just a few moments, hosted by Nahum Siegel. And, of course, it's Thursday, so there's a full day of programming that continues after the live lunch. Do not touch that dial. And, folks, you know what's coming up. You know what's coming up. That's right, this Sunday. Yes, Friday morning. Do not miss JM and AM. And yes, Saturday Night Seagull, of course, of Rummy's going to be on. And yes, Matis, JM Sunday. But then what happens Sunday afternoon, folks? Sunday evening. We're saying 8 o'clock, right? Just around 8 o'clock. Yeah, there happens to be a game on TV. There happens to be a game. But you and I both know that the Kosher Halftime Show 2022 will premiere Sunday night at 8 o'clock. Now, I got to tell you something. Inside information, it's really Really good. It's Shlomo Katz. What do you expect? If you're missing Israel, by the way, if you're missing Israel just a bit, just a bit, this show is for you. Don't miss a minute of it. We're going to end today. I know I'm out of time and whatever, but bear with me. We're going to end today with Up to Jerusalem because that is the way I'm feeling. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. As I was walking down a dark and lonely street A car came along and pulled up by my side And inside was a rabbi with a long white beard He said, son, I'm gonna take you for a ride Why don't we go up to Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, yeah, up to Jerusalem with me, yeah. said, son, won't you come along with me? Why don't we go up to Jerusalem? Oh, up to Jerusalem, yeah, up to Jerusalem with me. Why don't we go up to Jerusalem? Oh, up to Jerusalem, yeah, up to Jerusalem with me.
why don't we go up to Jerusalem? Oh, up to Jerusalem, yeah, up to Jerusalem with me, yeah. Why don't we go up to Jerusalem, yeah? with me I called all my friends back in Los Angeles I said hey now look around what do you see Now when you had your fill of that craziness Why don't you hop a plane, sing along me mm-hmm.